The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. This evening I'll be reading from Psalm chapter 40. I will be reading from the ESV this evening, Psalm chapter 40. As I read this, I want just to encourage you to hear it, to receive it as the precious Word of God, the truth, and to be amazed that an infinitely holy God could offer these life-giving words of hope to such vile Wicked sinners as you and me. Let us hear the word of God this evening. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. 
As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. These are the precious words of God for you. Let us pray. O Lord, tonight we ask that you would incline our heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes away from looking at worthless things and give us life in your word, O God. And may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. Well, most of you know that this past week we had vacation Bible school here at Westminster. Uh, Many of you were involved in helping out and we For the most part, we had a great week, although I did make one very significant mistake. I forgot the gospel, literally. I can explain this for you. This week I had many different roles. One of them was, typical role for a youth pastor, run all of the games outside for the little kids. So that was one of my roles. But in the morning, the very first thing we did was we had an assembly here in the sanctuary, and I was Chaplain de Bruin. An officer in the Navy. I had borrowed Scott Forbes' naval uniform. And and so we would gather in the sanctuary and we would do a skit. And then I would leave and we would sing a song. And I would come back each morning and share a portion of the gospel. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But on Wednesday, I forgot. After the skit, I took off to do my Superman change into my t-shirt and shorts and ran outside. I don't know what happened if I was just so excited about the game that day. This big water game we were having or what. But I forgot the gospel. But thankfully, Pastor York was here to fill in for me, and he was able to present the gospel in my absence. But as I thought about that, I realized that I forget the gospel almost every day in my life. Let me explain. So for example, let's say I I walk into a room in my house, and my children are in the midst of a conflict. And before I know what has happened, I just pick one and blame him or her and start yelling at them. I have forgotten the gospel. Or maybe my wife and children are away and I'm home and, and I'm looking at my watch and it's past the time when I, when I thought they would be home. And I start to get worried and anxious. I forget the gospel. Or maybe I am more excited and more passionate about whether a 20-year-old kid can catch a football than I am about the priorities and passion of the God who made me and loved me and gave himself for me. I forget the gospel. Anytime anything in this world becomes more important to me than God, whether it's respect or comfort, money, possessions, clothes, pleasure. Anytime anything becomes more important to me than God, I forget the gospel. I forget who God is and what he has done for me. Then I open God's word to Psalm chapter 40. These wonderful words. And God provides a remedy for me. He provides a prescription for all the forgetful children of God. Because here in Psalm 40, we see a model, a pattern that should be 
and part of the life of every child of God. This morning, Dr. Rogers gave us three R's. Tonight, I'll give you three P's. This pattern is to ponder what God has done for us, who He is. And then to proclaim that majestic glory. And then to have renewed confidence to petition God for the daily mercies that we need. So the psalmist begins here by pondering what God has done for him. And the opening verses of Psalm 40. In verse 2, the psalmist, who is King David, he refers to this pit of destruction. To this miry bog. And this pit would have been a deep, dark well. But when you combine that with the miry bog, the picture you get is, a, is of a man in a deep pit with no water, but only mud and mire like quicksand that would drag him down to a suffocating death. This is a desperate condition, a situation where you have no hope of escape, no ability of yourself to free yourself out of this pit. Your only hope is if you could be delivered by a power outside of yourself. Well, maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you are in the pit of destruction. And perhaps it's the pit of sin. You know, later in the psalm, David will mention his sin. In verse 12, he says, My iniquities have overtaken me. They are more than the hairs of my head. And there was certainly a time when David was caught in a terrible pit of sin. This downward spiral leading to death. And maybe you're here tonight and you are caught in the grip of sin. Where one sin has led to another and to another. And to a tighter grip on your life. Perhaps it's some kind of addiction and you you can't seem to break free from it. You might even be aware of what is happening, but you can't get out of it. And this is not surprising. Because this is what sin is like. Maybe you've heard that phrase, sin takes you farther than you wanted to go. You stay longer than you wanted to stay. You pay more than you intended to pay. David found that true. Hear that again. Sin takes you farther than you wanted to go. You stay longer than you wanted to stay. You pay more than you intended to pay. This was true of David, but David found That no matter how far you have gone, no matter how terrible your sin may be, there is forgiveness with God. No matter how badly you may have failed, no, no matter how deep your struggle may be, you can repent. You can cry out to God for forgiveness and rescue through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He will hear and He will forgive. Maybe this evening you're in a pit of suffering. Is there anything in your life right now that might be causing you a sense of helplessness or desperation that threatens your sense of peace and well-being? Do you feel hopeless? Have you reached the breaking point? Maybe you are overworked or out of work. Maybe you are exasperated as you constantly face the needs and the cries of young children. Or maybe it's the rebellion And poor choices of older children. Or maybe it's sorrow at the fact that God has not blessed you with children. Perhaps it's the stress of a coming school year. Or an economic collapse. Or a lingering life-threatening illness. Or maybe you are facing the death of a loved one. 
or perhaps what might seem worse in your eyes, being abandoned by somebody who ought to love you. You need help. You need rescue. You need deliverance. And thanks be to God. He is the ultimate rescuer. Psalm 124 says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You may be in the pit this evening. If so, remember the gospel. There is good news. Ponder, meditate on who God is and what he has done for you. God hears your cry in the pit. You know, as King David was in the pit, he waited patiently for the Lord and he remembered what the Lord did. If you look at verse 1, you see the first thing that God did for him. It says God inclined to him. This means that God turned and listened to his cry. It's the idea of someone's attention being arrested and riveted. Think about how amazing that is. God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and earth, the God who rules over stars and planets and galaxies, the God who rules over kings and queens and every person on this planet and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes, this God, Almighty God, turned his attention to David. He inclined to him. He gave him his attention. The words of the psalmist come to mind. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him, but he does. And God will do the same for you if you humbly cry out to him for mercy. But listen, the only reason an infinitely holy God would ever listen to a sinful human being is because His only Son, Jesus Christ, went down into the pit for us. The only way you can come to God is through His Son. Brian Chapel, the president of Covenant Seminary, tells a story of a tribe in Africa that had very little access to water. And the only way they could get water was to dig these deep pits, these wells. And these were not wells like you might think of in a park here where there's this nice brick circle um, thing built up and you have a, a pulley and a rope that goes down with a barrel. No, not at all. These, these wells, these pits, they had to dig them 100 feet down. And the only way they could get water out was if one of the tribesmen would come and climb down into the pit at the bottom with a water skin, fill it up and climb back up. And one time, one of these, these young tribesmen was climbing down. He got the water. On his way back up, he fell to the bottom and broke his leg. And he could not get out. And there was no one in the tribe that was strong enough to climb down into the pit and put him on his shoulders and carry him out. So the people of the tribe called for the chief of the tribe, the strongest man, the king of the people. And he came and he saw the situation. And he took off his massive headdress. And he took off his ceremonial robes and he laid them aside and he climbed down into the pit and he took upon himself the weight of the fallen and injured man and he carried him up to safety. The strong chief became a servant. He did what no other man could do. Beloved, this is what Jesus has done for us. Though he was God, 
He assumed the role of a servant. He laid aside his honor and his glory and he climbed down into the pit of human misery where he took upon himself the weight of human sin, your sin. The Bible says that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus was taking our place to bring us out of the pit. God came to earth as a man and yet remained fully God. He lived a perfect life in our place. He was crucified on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, though he had never sinned. God treated him as if he had committed all the sins ever committed by all of his people so that they then could be treated as if they lived the life of Jesus. Jesus was bearing the weight of our fall, of our sin, of our pit upon his shoulders. And he was raised to life again. All who humbly cry out to God for help, all who admit their hopeless condition and see that their only hope is in Jesus, they all could be made right with God. And amazingly, God would incline to them, turn his attention to them through his Son. Have you called out to God through his son, Jesus? If you have not, you can do so right now, tonight, and God will turn to you. David remembers this, and it gives him hope. But not only did God give his attention to David, he also heard his cry, and he acted in mercy and love and faithfulness. This is what God always does for his people. He hears and he acts in mercy and in love. You see this throughout the scriptures. You turn to Exodus when God's people Israel were enslaved in Egypt and they cried out to God. And the Bible says God heard their cry. He remembered his covenant, his promises, his character, and he acted to deliver them. You know, God hears and he acts. But it may not be in your timing, right? Whenever we're in the pit of destruction, we want God to act yesterday. We want it to be over immediately. But Lamentations reminds us that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Those that wait patiently for God... They may wait long, but listen, they never wait in vain. They never wait in vain. Well, for David, not only did God turn his attention to him and hear his cry, but he also delivered him. Verse 2, he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. King David is pondering what God has done for him. He's remembering that God delivered him from his troubles. He completely turned his life around from despair to security. No longer in the pit, but on the rock. And then verse 3 tells us he did more even. He put a new song in his mouth. A song of praise to his God. This new song. So David now has gone from groaning, from crying, to rejoicing, to singing. Well, now that the psalmist has pondered what God has done for him, he then begins to proclaim 
the greatness of this Savior. Verse 5. David says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God. Your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. He's proclaiming what God has done for him. But were he to do it from that point forward to the day he died, he could not cover them all. They are more than can be told. Look at verse 9 and 10. He continues this proclamation. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. The great congregation there, it could refer to either the entire nation of Israel or simply the corporate worship, the saints gathered in assembly to worship God. But the truth is, David's proclamation would benefit both believers and unbelievers, children of God and those who do not yet know God. See, don't miss the effect of this proclamation. You see it here in the psalm. What is the result of David pondering and then proclaiming? Verse 3, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When David proclaims the greatness and glory of his Savior, God uses that to strengthen the faith of his people, and God uses that to bring faith to those who do not yet have faith. Don't miss this part of the pattern. We ponder what God has done for us, who he is, and we proclaim it to others. This is what Josh and Elizabeth have done for us this evening. They have proclaimed what God has done for them. This is what you occasionally have the opportunity to do here on a Sunday evening when we set the microphone up in the aisle and we offer a time for praise and prayer and thanksgiving. Yes, we want to hear your prayer requests and we are concerned to pray for you, but we also want to hear your praises. What has God done for you? Who He is in your life? This is what we have had different members of our church do every Sunday morning this summer in our senior high Sunday school class, and it has been wonderful. Every Sunday morning downstairs, a different member of our church has come to proclaim what God has done in their lives. And so we have heard from Nikki Arnold, and we heard how she was running from God, but he pursued her. And she realized that God loved her and sent his son to die for her, not to condemn her, but that she might be saved. And we heard from Al and Elaine Ketchaputi, Al who thought he was morally great most of his adult life, but at church he heard of the suffering of Christ. And he came to see Christ as the Messiah that he needed. He realized he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And we have heard from Andy Steyer, who had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home, and through the faithful witness of his parents and this church, he cannot remember a time when he didn't believe in Jesus as the Christ and his Savior. And we've heard from Art and Linda Pellicaro, who were addicted, enslaved. They were in the pit of sin, addicted to alcohol. They met at AA. They were pursuing a life of pleasure. But then Art realized he heard the gospel, And he realized that he was dead in sin, but by God's grace, he received mercy 
instead of punishment. And Linda realized that though she was inadequate, Christ was adequate. And now they are free from their addictions for over 30 years and proclaiming this God who delivers and redeems and rescues to others who are caught in the pit of sin. Beloved, you too have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. A new song which God can use to encourage his children and bring prodigals home to Christ. Have you told this good news? This story of God's glory and his work in your life. We all have at least one unique story to tell. Because our God of grace works in different ways in each of his children's lives to bring them to himself. We all have at least one unique story to tell. Have you told it? Or are you restraining your lips? Are you hiding God's deliverance? Are you concealing the best news the world has ever heard? God's steadfast love. Are you concealing that from others? You know, there may be other people in your life who are in the pit, in the bog, and they are in need of deliverance. You can tell them. See, we heard from Bill Kaiser and Mary Spreitzer. They both came to the Lord as adults, and they both shared how co-workers were instrumental in their lives, how somebody they worked with had the courage to speak up and speak the gospel to them. You may have co-workers who do not yet know Christ, but they could hear your story and turn and put their trust in the Lord. We heard from the Kachapudis and their adult life. It was neighbors who were instrumental, along with their nine and ten-year-old daughters. You may have neighbors who need to hear the good news of deliverance. Bill Arnold had a grandmother praying for him over and over again. You may have grandchildren you are praying for. Don't keep the greatest story ever to yourself. Remember what God has done and tell others. Ponder and proclaim. You know, this has an effect in our daily lives. It makes a difference when we remember who God is and what he's done for us. When we rehearse that and we proclaim it, it then gives us confidence and courage and boldness to petition God for the mercies we need today because we've seen his faithfulness in the past. We know we can go to him today for the mercies we need. Pondering God's deliverance in the past is the basis for prayer for help in the present. Listen to these great amazing words in verse 11. After David has proclaimed the greatness of God, he then says this, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. He has confidence in the character of his God, a God of mercy and grace, who will not restrain his mercy from him. That's true for you too if you are his child. He will not restrain his mercy from you. Verse 17, David admits, we admit, as for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord, Almighty God, He takes thought for me. The God who reigns in the heavens knows your condition. And He takes thought for you. 
He is your help and your deliverer. We are strengthened in present trials by memory of past blessings. This is the logic, the strategy of this psalm and of the gospel. Having experienced God's mercy, having experienced His faithfulness in the past, we are then encouraged and emboldened to trust Him today. Listen, you know what that means? This is what it means. You have at least one story to tell. And there will be more stories to tell. Do you understand that? There will be more mercies poured out on you that you can then remember and praise God for. We live in this cycle. The cycle of experiencing God's faithfulness and His mercy and His deliverance, giving Him praise for it, and then falling to our knees in prayer as we face yet another pit in this fallen world. You know, you may be experiencing hard days today, but that is not the end of the story. There are new mercies to come, mercies that you have not yet experienced. You will have a new story of God's faithfulness to tell. And I know we long for the day when that cycle is over. Today may not be that day, but that day is coming. C.S. Lewis wrote that series of books, The Chronicles of Narnia, a great series of books to read to your children or grandchildren, or if you're uh, any age, it would be great for you to read them. And, and most of you are familiar with that series, and you're familiar with the fact that Aslan, this, this lion character in the book, is a representative of Christ, and the whole story is a representative of the gospel. And there's this great scene in the last book in the series, The Last Battle, where the four children, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy, are somewhat confused about what's going on and if they're going to have to go back to their normal world after being in Narnia and listen to how he ends the book. Aslan says, There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, he's he's saying, us the readers, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... And for us, the children of God, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Arnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever. And every chapter is better than the one before. Beloved, that is where we are headed May we sing his stories while we await the grand and glorious beginning, which will make all the stories we know now pale in comparison to the glorious ones we learn there. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, great God, we are in awe of who you are And what you have done for us. Help us 
to ponder, to remember every day. Help us to have courage to proclaim your greatness. Give us confidence to come to you in our times of need. For you are a great God of mercy. Thank you for showing us your glory. Thank you for the hope we have when we will see it in full and worship at the feet and in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May it come quickly, O Lord. Amen.